Well, that's how he led. He saw Jesus, as we're going to talk about this week. Lord's Supper, Last Supper, Communion, whatever you want to call it. He saw Jesus at that Last Supper get down on his knees, take out his outer garment, and wash the disciples' feet. Every one of them. He saw Jesus do that. I mean, think about how hard that would have been to do. Some of you can't even do that for your husbands or your wives, right? And think he did that in this day and age where they didn't wear shoes like we do, where they wore sandals or, or, or nothing. Those feet were incredibly dirty. And he was washing the disciples' feet who were going to betray him very soon, who were going to run away from him while he was at his deepest need now. And he still chose to wash their feet. You realize how hard that would have been? to do it and in that way. And that's what Peter saw, though. And that same sort of mentality, I think he's asking for us. You know, I, I was at a, a fundraising dinner this last week with um, Wayne Carroll Richardson for the Gospel Center Rescue Mission, and we had um, uh, the Smith, Jonathan and Alicia Smith, at our table. And I was joking with Jonathan because he's a captain in the fire department here in Stockton. And, and I said, you know, I saw you um, <clears throat> about four or five months ago as I was driving along, um, coming off the Crosstown Freeway, and there was a spill that happened of sulfur or something that was on the road. And uh, there was Jonathan. I drove by him and said, hey, how you doing? And he had the shovel in his hand going over to be the one to actually scoop up the sulfur and, and take it away. And it was kind of a toxic spill, and he was involved. And I joked with him afterwards. I said, shouldn't you have been getting your other guys under your command to do the dirty work like that? He says, nah, no, that's what I do. And what he's showing there as a captain is what he wants to model of being that kind of a leader to his guys. People follow that kind of a leader. This last week, I went and saw Rock Seitzma. Rock and Kathy have had a difficult, difficult year. Kathy has had an illness for a number of years um, and they lost a daughter about seven or eight years ago to cancer, and now their youngest daughter was diagnosed with cancer as well and uh, is in hospice care. And so I went to visit Christina and Rock, and Rock had been in the hospital a couple weeks ago. Um, just, boy, the affliction that has hit that family um, is incredible. And yet as I talked with Rock and sit with him and I chatted with Kathy as well, you can just see this incredible faith that they have. Even though life is tough, even though there's struggles. And, and Rock has been a leader for many years with the Eagle's Nest Sunday School class. Taught them year after year after year after year. And now that Eagle's Nest class is just blessing them back, helping all that they can. And that's what Rock was just overwhelmed by, was the help that he's received from the church going through this time. And, and as I walked into their house, we talked a little bit there on the entryway, and they said, well, Kathy's upstairs. And so I started walking upstairs, and I turned around, and I see Rock following me, and he's on all fours climbing up the stairs because his health still wasn't good and he has a huge um, uh, pain in his side and he can't walk upright on the stairs and he's got to crawl up the stairs and I think here's a man so able-bodied and yet so broken down now and, and, and he's serving his wife who he has to take and lift up from chair to chair who's helping with his daughter now as she's going through hospice care and, and I just think what a servant what a servant he has been and a model of that, just like Jesus would do for us. Even as he went through that painful affliction, Peter uses that term, be shepherds of the flock, serve the flock, care for them, because that's what he saw Jesus do. 
And at the lowest point that Peter had, get this now, Peter's lowest point in his life, when he betrayed Jesus three times, said, I don't even know the guy. Quit telling me I'm a follower of him. I've never even seen, don't even know him. After failing and running back to his old fisherman ways, Jesus again models serving by getting on to the same level with Peter. You say, how did that happen? After Jesus came back from the grave, remember John chapter 21? He approaches Peter. And he says, Peter, do you love me? And he uses the word agape, which means unconditional love, just a godly kind of love. Do you love me like that? And Peter says, yes, you, you know I love you, but he used a phileo, a human kind of love. Jesus says, take care of my sheep. He asked him again. He said, he said, Peter, do you love me? And he did it with that agape, that unconditional kind of way. And Peter, oh man, that is too hard to comprehend. Yes, you know I love you. And he answers back on the lower level, the phileo, the brotherly kind of love. And after twice trying to get his attention by saying, it's an unconditional love that I want you to have for me. It's a perfect love. Jesus realizes Peter can't do that yet. And he comes down onto his level and he says, Peter, do you love me? And he then asks it in the brotherly love sort of way, in the phileo kind of way. And Peter says, yes, I do phileo you. I love you. And Jesus says, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Jesus came down to his level, even though Peter really didn't want him down there. I mean, think about that. Have you ever been there where, where you have done something so stupid, and you know it, and you know it offended God, and you know you shouldn't be there, and you just are saying, Jesus, just, just let me be here. Just let me dwell here. I don't want you here. I'm too sinful. I'm too ugly. I don't want you here right now. I and mean, maybe you've been sleeping around. Nobody knows it yet, but you do. Maybe you've been drinking and been drinking way too hard. Maybe you've been doing drugs. Maybe you've been smoking marijuana and, and, and kind of skirting the issue and lying about it. Maybe it's something with your temper. Maybe it's, it's your thought life. You don't want to be in the presence of Jesus. And do you know what he does? He comes down to where you are and he says, okay, I know what you've done. Don't stay there. Come on. Get back up. Stand back up. You fell down, but you need to get back up. And that's what the Christian life really is. It's falling down, but it's getting back up. It's falling down, but it's getting back up. It's falling down, but it's getting back up. And what my prayer for you is, as your pastor, is that you will just stop falling down quite so much. You're going to fall down, yes, just not quite as much every day, every month, every year. And I pray that you get to the end of 2017, you say, yep, I didn't fall down quite as much this year. And you can do that. It's called becoming more like Christ. It's called sanctification. Salvation comes, one-time experience. Sanctification is the daily renewal, the process of being like Jesus. And you know why I know you can do it? Because Peter did it. Peter fell down. But Jesus said, get back up. And Peter begins to take on this shepherding mentality. He begins to shepherd the flock. He begins to grow. 
And you can see the growth that's taken place in his life because he's now doing the feeding and he's now doing the encouraging and he's encouraging all of us to be doing the same thing. And so let me just encourage you, don't stay down. Get on the playing field. Don't be on the sidelines. Get back up, serve, share, lead. Take those steps. And I'll share, you, share with you how. There's a box right there on your outline. Let me fill in these three points. And these three points, I think, will, will, will kind of start on the inside and make a lot of changes for you. Here's the first thing that you really need to do if you're going to start to lead like Jesus. You've got to choose devotion over duty. Choose devotion over duty. What do I mean by that? Look what Peter says. He says, be shepherds of God's flock. That's under your care. Okay? Be leaders of others. And then he says this, watching over them... Not because you must, but because you are, what's the word there? You are what? You're willing, as God wants you to be. In fact, circle that phrase, not because you must. Let me give you four words that you can write out to the side of that circle. Let me give you four words that will get you nowhere. You ready for this? These are four words that will get you nowhere. If I have to. If I if I have to, I mean, can you imagine David going before Goliath to slay the giant and him saying, oh, if I have to, never would have worked. Can you imagine, you know, Columbus and Queen Isabella, you know, discovering the new world? Well, if I, if I have to. How about Neil Armstrong taking that first step onto the moon? Houston, do I have to? Yes. Yes. We have to, do I have to, understand this, do I have to changes nothing. I would love to changes the world. That's how it happens. You come to this place of saying, yes, I, I, I want to, I would love to. And when Jesus was first asking Peter to feed his sheep, you could see this attitude of, do I, do I, ha do I really have to? Why don't you just let me be fish. Just let me just fish. I, I, I'm tired of people right now. I've fallen. I've messed up. Let me just be back here with the fishing nets and the fish. Just kind of leave me alone. But now he's writing this letter years later, and you can see the growth. You can see the change. Peter stepped up and said, I'd love to, and I want all of you to do this as well, he writes to the first century church, and he's writing that to us as well. How did that change come about? I mean, maybe you're at that same place in your life where you've lost a little devotion to uh, your marriage. Maybe you're at that place where you've kind of gotten stale and lost kind of some of your passion for your job or for your work. Maybe you're in school and you are just ready for it to be done and through, thinking I need to make a change or something. The if I have to's have probably crept in into a, into a lot of different areas in your life, and, and you're getting away from the things that you know you should be doing. And probably even with your relationship with God. Maybe it's become a lot of duty, 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 duty. I, these are things I have to. How do you get a change of heart in that? Let me give you a phrase that you can write down. This is what I want you to remember. Write this phrase down if you're ready to make a heart change on that. Pray these words. God, I'm willing to be made willing. Let me say that again. God, I am willing to be made willing. You know what that does? 
that allows God to partner with you to have a heart change. And now, don't expect just it to be microwaved and, and to change it just like that. But it brings you to your place of choosing devotion over duty. Devotions for I mean, that's why we encourage you to read Scripture so much. That we call them devotions because it just gets into your heart. It just is a place of letting God speak to you and to open up God's Word and say, God, I'm willing to be made willing. Here goes. It's one of the reasons we did the 24-hour prayer vigil. I mean, that changes as much us as, as anything. Um, I, I came in, I think it was about 12 o'clock on, on Friday night. Um, was only supposed to pray for a half an hour. An hour and a half later, I got up and said, wow, that was fun. I mean, some of you did that. Oh, we had another one of our pastors who prayed for three hours. He was only supposed to be here a half hour. We had, you know, Miss Helen, you were here all, almost the whole day. People were just, just feeling that presence of saying, God, I'm not here because I have to. I'm here because I want to be here. I'm willing. Work on me. In fact, if you didn't pick up some of those materials, if you weren't able to be part of it, we have those materials out at the Next Step Center. I'd invite you to pick those up. They're great prayer guides that you can begin to pray, and it will just get you into God's Word. This last week, I, I stood on the front steps of our church, and I just watched as the cars drove by and prayed for the people behind those wheels. In fact, I tried to look into the windows of cars. You can see faces just quickly go by. How many of them would even turn and look to see the hope of the world that stands right here in this church, that this church and the cross represent? And we have, hundreds, we have thousands of cars that go by every day, every day, every day, every day. And my prayer is that God... Let me see these people, these cars, with your eyes. Let me hear with your ears. And God, let that be true of all of our people at First Baptist Church, that we might see more and more and more people as you would see them, as you would hear them. And let our hands and let our feet serve them as you would serve them. In fact, one of the things that we did uh, with the prayer vigil is we had people write down names of people that they were praying for and pinned them up on a board. It was a huge board. That board was covered with sticky notes of names that we as a staff are going to pray over this week. You have people you're praying for as well. You have a bookmark that we gave you a couple weeks ago. You're praying for people in that way. I pray that those prayers would end up in conversations and invitations to the hope. That Jesus stand for. Don't, not, not because it's a duty, not because my pastor made me do it, but because you see with the eyes of Jesus, you hear with the ears of Jesus. That's my prayer for you. Choose devotion over duty. And then there's a second thing that Peter says. He says, choose giving over getting. Choose to give over getting. Remember what he says there. He says, okay, I want you to lead. I want you to shepherd the flock. He says, How? Not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. Eager to serve. You know, when you are doing the Lord's work, there's often not a lot of um, fame or fortune to be had in that. And when you try and get that, it, 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 your priorities will come out of order very, very quickly. I love sharing about the life of Mother Teresa. Shared about her uh, about a month ago or so, but let me share another little story. She was working at an orphanage there in Calcutta, working with the dying, those who are lowly. Um, a reporter followed her, was doing a story on her life, and um, 
the reporter was watching her literally scrape the lepers out of the gutters and bring them into the orphanage to care for them, to bandage them up, to give them some respect and some hope and to teach them, literally out of the gutters. And at the end of the day, the reporter was interviewing her, and the reporter said, you know what, Mother Teresa, I wouldn't do that for all the money in the world. And she looks back, and she kind of laughs, and she said, you know what, I wouldn't either. That's her life. That's a life serving, not to get something, but to give. And the moment we serve and expect something to be given to us, we've done it for the wrong reason. And maybe that's why you're in a place of dryness. Maybe that's why maybe spiritually a little dry and, and are not following through with things. It's because you're trying to get instead of to give. What's your motive? Are you doing something for the money? Are you doing something for the fame? Are you doing something for, you know, to be acknowledged? I, I've seen a lot of different uh, statues and plaques around the city, and specifically back in the East Coast, you see a lot of plaques and statues of famous people. You know, none of them receive those kind of honors for being rich. Just because you're rich, you don't get that. You get some of those acknowledgments and some of those honors um, because you've served Maybe you've given those riches away. Maybe you've given your time away. Maybe you've given your talents away. It's choosing the giving over getting. And Peter's saying, you know, don't, don't confuse income with influence. And it really leads into the last point in the box. Choose influence over being in control. Choose influence over people not being in control. He says again, lead, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And again, who was the greatest example of this? Jesus was, right? Never once in Scripture do you see him saying or commanding respect, right? Never has he ever gone to the disciples and he's like, hey, 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 I'm in control here. Come on now. I'm the leader. Come on. You know what? And when, by the way, if you ever have to say that, I'm the leader, you're not the leader anymore, okay? Just, just know that. If you ever have to say that that way, Jesus never spoke it and said it that way. He just lived it out. He modeled it. In fact, here's the true test of what kind of a leader you are. Not by how many people are under you, but how many people are alongside of you working together as you lead, bringing them with you? And again, Jesus, great example of this. What's he doing on the night before he goes to the cross? I, I, I told you, he's washing the disciples' feet. And then when he dies and he talks to Peter about the agape love, the phileo love, what's he doing for Peter? If you read the text, he's making him breakfast as he's reinstating him, as he's blessing him, as he's challenging him, as he's charging him. He's making, he's cooking him breakfast. Jesus didn't lord it over the disciples, but he led by examples, and an example that the disciples would die for. That's why those disciples died. All of them known to be martyrs for their faith, except John, who died on the island. All, all of them went to death because they saw Jesus do that for them. Never demanding control, but being the most influential person who has ever lived on the face of this earth, Jesus Christ. You know, you might say, well, 
I'm no Jesus. I'm not even a Mother Teresa. I mean, I mean, what, what can I do to make a difference? I, I think I shared this um, illustration a couple of years ago, but I think it works well again. Let me just share it. Many of you might not have been here. There's a motivational speaker by the name of Barbara Bland who uh, would often go out and do customer service uh, seminars uh, in grocery stores and frontline uh, service for you know the people who serve the baggers, the checkers, um, uh, the stalkers, and such in the grocery stores. And she would go out and she would kind of pump them up. She would she would tell stories and say, "Hey, you know what? Put your own stamp on what you do. Make the customer feel important. Remember, you're servicing the customer. The customer comes first. Bless them." Uh, and, and whenever she would share this, you know, she kind of get a milk toast response, kind of like, "Okay, yeah, that, that that's kind of fine." Until one time, um, there was a 19-year-old young boy uh, who had Down syndrome, who was in one of those seminars. His name was Johnny, and he was a bagger at a local store. And he heard Barbara share her story and, and talk about how encouraging them to bless others. And he got all excited about it, and he calls her up a couple weeks later, and he says, hey, you know what? Um, my mom and dad came with me, and we were sitting there, and we listened to you talk, and I started to think, how can I make the customers happy? How can I bless the customers who come to me? How can I serve them best? And he said, this is what I, what's what I did. I, I like to collect quotations. And so I collect all these quotations, and what I did is I typed them all up, and I put them down on pieces of paper, and I photocopied them. So I made like 150 copies of them, and I would cut them out. And he said that he would cut them out in little tiny strips, kind of like fortune cookies. Now, as he was bagging people's um, groceries, he would say, would you like to have my quotation for the day? I hope it makes your day brighter. And he would slip that little quotation into their bag if they said yes. And he said, now I know I'm a person of influence. You want to know how? And he's telling her, he said, when um, I started to do this, the manager would come out and see everybody was lined up in front of my checkout counter. And the manager would come out, and he would try and get them to go to all the other counters. You know, open on aisle one, open on aisle two, aisle three. Oh, get away from all that. Come on over. Let's make this efficient. But, but, but they wouldn't go. They wanted to come through Johnny's checkout to get his quotation of the day. In fact, there was a gal who told the manager, she said, I have come here for years, one day a week. Now I come every day because I want to see Johnny's quotation of the day. What an inspiration. And you, and you think about that. You think about that. A 19-year-old young man with Down syndrome. Nobody probably had them on the top of their hierarchical scale of influence in the store. But God did. Someone who can make a difference. God sees differently than the world sees. And we can be people of influence. You don't think he was a young man of influence? Absolutely he was. Absolutely he was. And you might feel a little bit like that. What do I have to offer? You just say, God, I'm willing to be made willing. Open my eyes. Open my ears. What can I give? How can I serve you? In fact, let me finish up the last two points kind of quickly. The, last, uh, the second main point there was we want to lead like Jesus was to stay humble. Stay humble. It says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. 
you know, Pastor uh, Jim, our former senior pastor, was here at the first service, and I was calling him out in the service because I said, you know, you never lorded your doctor title over anybody in all the years you were here, were you? He said, nope. And I have a doctorate as well, but none of you have heard me talk about that because I, I don't want to talk about that. That makes it kind of seem like, woo, what do we got here, Mr. Doctor, right? Right? There, there, we were talking about this. Uh, there, was a, there was a pastor in our region who called once to our church and uh, Cotton answered the phone and, and called him Pastor So-and-So. And he said, uh-uh, it's not Pastor, it's Dr. Bill, da-da-da-da-da. Cotton was a little tough. Is Cotton upstairs? Oh, there she is right there. She'll remember the story. He said, no, it's Dr. And, 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 and she says, well, okay, let me have you talk to our Pastor Jim. And Pastor Jim was on the other line and said, we won't call you Dr. around here. Because you're a pastor. You're taking care of people. And that's what we do as well. That's what I do as well. You will, I hope you see me as one of you, as a servant, just pushing us all ahead, just saying, how do we continue to serve? How do we continue to stay humble? Because as soon as we get an ego, that's when we start to lose it. You know what ego stands for? The E-G-O, edging God out. That's what ego stands for. And, and by the way, I heard someone say, the man who gets too big for his britches gets exposed in the end. Okay? So just remember that one. Stay humble and stop worrying. The last point I have on there. Stop worrying. In fact, it says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you because he cares for you. That's the verse that I felt the Lord gave me as I did a fast last week. This verse right here, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Whatever cares you have, whatever anxiety you're going through. And I like the verse because in the Greek, it, it, it means to throw something on someone, not just to throw it out. I'm just going to take my cares and just throw them to the wind. Who cares about it? That's not what it says. It says, cast them on him. Cast your anxieties, cast your worries, cast your fears. Cast your anxieties on him because he cares for you. You put it on someone. That is Jesus. He's there for you. Um, you know, this series that we've been going through has been um, a series all about hope and encouragement. I, I pray you've received some of that. There, there's a great song by 10th Avenue North that we're going to sing here in just a bit. Um, and, and the words to the song, I think, are, are words that I hope you start to live by and that you start to even sing this week. Let me read some of them to you. It says, as I walk this great unknown, questions come and questions go. Was there purpose for this pain? Did I cry these tears in vain? And over these last three months that we've been even going through this series, I know there's been pain, there's been hardship, there's been difficulties, there's been struggles. Question asked again, I don't want to live in fear. I want to trust that you are near. Trust your grace can be seen in both triumph and tragedy. And then the chorus sings, and you'll sing this in just a bit. I have this hope in the depth of my soul. In the flood of the fire, you're with me and you won't let go. Song goes on. So whatever happens, I will not be afraid. Because you are closer than this breath that I take. You calm the storm when I hear you call my name. I still believe that I'll see your face. I will see your face. And whatever, deal, whatever struggles you are dealing with, 
That's what Peter also wants to remind us of because in verse 4 of chapter 5, he says, And when that great shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. Oh man, and for some of you with what you've been going through, that is all you have to hold on to. But hold on tight because God will never let go. And God promises to always be. And God promises to give you a hope. That living hope lives inside of us. It's in the form of the Holy Spirit that Jesus left for us. Jesus. Jesus is that living hope. And as we sing this song, and I pray as you sing it as you go about your way, that that will just resonate in your hearts. And that that living hope will spill over into everything you do this week. That living hope will spill over into every relationship you have. That people will say, why do you have such great hope? And you'll say, it's Jesus is Jesus. Come and meet my Jesus. Let's pray. God, we do have a great hope. We have a hope that is only found in you. As you have given us that charge to be leaders, as you have given us that charge, Lord, to share that great hope with the world around us, God, there's times when we don't feel capable of it. There are times when we don't feel like we are gifted, skilled, have enough ability to do that. But Lord, you have just asked us to operate in the power of your Holy Spirit. You have just asked us to share what we know. Lord, you've just asked us to allow Jesus to transform our lives. And sometimes it's just a prayer, God, I'm willing to be made willing. You know, this week I pray that you would pray that prayer. Lord, I'm willing to be made willing. I'm willing to be your servant. I'm willing to be your messenger. I'm willing to do what you've asked me to do. It could be a little task. It could be the most menial task that you will ever experience. It could be serving someone high up, whatever it may be. God, we are willing to do what you've asked us to do. You know, maybe you're here today and you've said, I've, I've really been living life my own way. I haven't been living it for God. I just stumbled in here. Maybe a friend invited you. We want you to know the incredible hope that is found in Jesus Christ. The hope that is only found in him. If you put hope in fame, if you put hope in riches, if you put hope in anything else, you will be disappointed. The only hope that lasts is the hope that's found in Jesus Christ, whom Peter reminds us we will see at the end of time. And that crown of glory will be given. That will never fade away. And so, Lord, we hold on to that hope. And if you're here today and you have not yet accepted that hope, it's found in the person of Jesus, who lived on this earth, taught us all these things that Peter is teaching us now, taught him to teach us, went to the cross to die for us, didn't stay in the tomb, rocketed out of there. That's what we celebrate next Sunday. And if today's the day that you say, I need this, Jesus, I need something different in my life, then it's simply praying these words, Lord Jesus, would you come into my life right now today? I ask you to forgive me for the life I've lived. I'm making a U-turn. I'm following you now. Just say the word Jesus. Believe in faith that he is God's son. Come for you. Now, if you just prayed a prayer similar to that, I'd be most honored if you'd come and talk to me after the service. Maybe... Talk to the friend who brought you here today, or if you came on your own, come talk to me or out at our Next Step Center. We have some information we'd love to give to you that helps you take that next step of understanding what it means now to follow Jesus.
folks at First Baptist, that's what we're here to do. We're here to follow Jesus, and he's asked us to lead as we follow him, to hold on to that incredible hope, to lead others to him, and that's what we do. God, thank you for giving us that hope. We have that hope, even in the trials, even in the pain, even in the struggles. Lord, we hold on. We have that hope. For it's in the name of Jesus that we proclaim that.